Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ. I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. Never, ever give up hope is now in close to 70 different countries. And for a new show that's grown at this pace, it is exciting to know that the message of hope is one message that the world wants to hear. It doesn't matter what our educational background is. It doesn't matter what our ethnic background is. It doesn't matter where we are in the financial realm. We all have problems that come into our lives. We are human. No one is immune to it. And we all at some point need the message that there is hope in whatever situation we're going through. And that's what I love about my guests as well. Each one of them, we've now interviewed close to a hundred guests on this show. And each and every one of them has a message of hope and encouragement. Some have coping skills and tips to share, which is going to be one of the things that our guest today is going to share in her story. There's there's just so many aspects of this show that appeal to so many different types of people in all places of the world. And I thank you, listeners. I thank you for your contributing comments. I thank you for your reviews. I thank you for subscribing to this show. Let's get the word out. There is hope. Marion Pyle is a media and communications professional. She's an award-winning scriptwriter, producer, director, and television host. Marion is also a noted seminar leader and a university professor of business communication and public speaking. Now, she's going to share a little bit about her background today, but what we're going to gear in on in the message of hope is an incredible story that's in Marion's book, and her book is entitled Healed, Healthy and Whole, How We Beat Cancer with Integrative Therapies and Essential Healing Strategies. Well, that says a lot, and I know that she's going to have a lot to share about those strategies and therapies as well. In her book, she recounts the race against time, because when you're dealing with this kind of a situation, it is definitely a race, and you feel the pressure. And their race included finding a cure for her husband's deadly form of cancer. I am so pleased to welcome Marion. Pile. Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you and your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Now, let's start, Marion, with you have accomplished many things in your career. Can you tell us how you got started and just what happened in, in your choosing of your career and where it took you? Absolutely. I will say that I'm so delighted to hear your audience is a, a global audience because my background is a bit of a global background as well. I My father was Scottish and my mother was American, but we actually spent a great deal of time in Latin America. So my journey began in Argentina, Buenos Aires, Argentina, where I was born. My sister and I were born there. And then when I was very young, we moved to Mexico City, where I actually grew up, went to university. And then I came to the U.S. to do graduate school and follow some artistic passions. And then after that, I went to live in Australia for a season uh, for actually about eight years and did a whole lot of professional work there, which I'll explain in a minute. And then uh, really felt uh, called back to the U.S. where I've been for the last few years working and and writing and doing a number of things. Uh, But uh, I actually consider myself very much of a global citizen and how I got started in this business in media, communications, entertainment, advertising, PR, things like that, is because uh, my father was in the same business. And so at home, I was influenced at a very early age by the wonderful world of the television and film and entertainment and advertising, which was my father's field. So I just took a great shine to that and found that that was something that I had a great affinity for. And as I grew up, I naturally followed his footsteps and began to study that same world. And as creative people know, and you know this, Carol, you're such a creative person, creative people, you can't fit into a box. Uh, creativity <laughs> does not does not uh, fit in a box, you know. So I've worn many different hats over the years, uh, whether it was coming up with the ideas as a copywriter or a script writer and, and shaping stories, being the storyteller on paper, to then having the initiative to produce. I used to produce commercials and documentaries and I've also directed them. I was for, a, for eight years uh, a t- television host for a, a wonderful cable television series that we did here in California. Hmm. Won many awards, and but I was also privileged and given the um, the blessing of being able to also write many of the episodes, produce them, sometimes be a field director out on the field because when you're doing a documentary or. Uh, This particular series was known as a video news magazine. It was very similar to a 60 minutes type of format. So often when you're out in the field, you're directing the scenes and you're directing the interviews yourself. So I've worn a lot of different hats in that in that regard. And it's all been wonderfully creative, challenging, exciting. It's taken me all over the world. And um, it's every part of my um, self, my, every part of my expression comes through depending on what the project is and what the hat the hat is that I need to wear. What's your favorite one you wore? I love being the storyteller uh, from soup to nuts, to be honest with you, because when I catch a vision for something, I, I'm very excited to use words. I use words like a painter uses paints like a palette. So I, I love to use words to shape a message or a story very carefully. And then I love to see it come to life with the layers of the imagery and music and in the editing bay and later in post-production. So the truth is I have, I am a director at heart 
and I love to write and direct my own projects because uh, then I can guarantee the integrity of the message from start to finish. What are you the most proud of that you've done? I think doing a whole television series for eight years was remarkable, was one of the most remarkable things uh, that I've had an opportunity to do. I was trusted with that. And when it first started out, this was a very modest effort uh, working within the environmental community here in California. And the episodes from the very first episode I did, it was met with such a tremendous, very positive response that the opportunities, the budgets, the access and resources kept growing until I was able to, this show was aired on 135 different outlets throughout the state of California, including some PBS stations uh, for select episodes. And it just kept going from strength to strength and won a lot of different awards. And, and that was something I'm very, very proud of. What kind of a show was it? This was a video news magazine, which is... Oh, that's the one that you were talking about. Yeah, okay. video news magazine. And it was about environmental issues in California. Not just environmental, but it really was about being able to live gently on the land, if you will, live in harmony with our natural resources and take care of the world around us so that our children and grandchildren have something that they can inherit that's in good shape. You know, we are not here to, we're called to be stewards of this planet and with, with all of its beauty and its natural resources. So the show was really about, about sustainable living and working in harmony with our environment. And it was just a joy. I got to interview the most fascinating people in the scientific world, the environmental world, the artistic world. It was, it was, a, and politicians and legislators, of course, the decision makers. And so it was a very rich experience from start to finish. What kind of an impact do you think it made that you saw that you we were able to measure the impact by the, the response, the viewer response. And on a weekly basis, we there were certain episodes, that certain, certain themes that would resonate a lot with an audience, particularly when it came to the home, what people could do inside and outside their homes to make their homes a little more green or environmentally mm -hmm. friendly. People loved learning about those things. So they were very uh, user-friendly, those episodes. We would get up to 500 calls uh, and emails and letters a week, which is a very high response uh, for a cable television show because uh, for every person that's watching, for every person that actually makes connections with you, writes or calls or whatever, it represents 100 viewers. Mm -hmm. We knew we were reaching, you know, millions of people with every episode, and that was very exciting. No kidding. <laughs> and what are you doing now, Marianne? Well, I do a lot of work right now. I'm in the middle of writing another couple of books, as a matter of fact, and I'm uh, launching. What kind of books? Can you share that? Well, there's a part two to the story that you and I are going to share today about my husband's uh, healing, which was so transformative that I could really divide our married life into before the cancer and after the cancer. There were so many lessons learned, and we've it's just changed so much of our life. And uh, we have we continue to learn. We continue to evolve in terms of what we've what we have discovered and so there is a part two to the book that uh, I'm working on right now mm -hmm. and then there's a whole other uh, book that's being developed um, on relationships that we want to share particularly for younger people where we feel there's a real crisis and an absence of leadership where young people today are because the family has disintegrated so much here and in other parts of the world as well th there's a great sense of loss about or confusion about how to um, 
relate to relate in a healthy way to each other. And so I have a lot to say about that. And uh, we're writing a book where I'll be writing about over the summer. Actually, we'll be working on that. And we've got we've interviewed a whole lot of couples. And uh, so this is going to be a book as well as a, a series and it'll be available so people can not just hear about different journeys, but also actually hear couples testimony. So we have some fabulous testimonies already on tape. That's exciting. Yeah. That's so exciting. So you're you're retired from the industry per se? I'm actually teaching a lot. Uh, I I got invited to come in and teach at one particular university here in Southern California and I've been doing that for 3 years. Love that. I do a couple mm-hmm. of teach a couple of classes a semester and I just got approached by USC, my old University of Southern California, which is where I graduated from. I got my masters there and they've invited me to come and teach uh also in their in their university so i will i'm going to have to <laughs> pick i'm going to have to <laughs> sort through the the commitments and see where and where and how much i can take on and still have time for writing and teaching as well as promoting my own my own work we may this um this as a spin off of the book that we'll be chatting about i do um I teach seminars about this topic and we may turn that into a a television series as well. So we're exploring a lot of different avenues. Oh my goodness. That would be awesome. (laughs) So let's talk about your book. Now, when your husband was diagnosed, how were you prepared to deal with this shock? I know some people are prepared because they see it coming and others are prepared because they have a strong faith and, you know, they, they're solid before something happens that uproots their lives. How did you deal with it and how were you prepared for it? Um, that's a great question, Carol. And I have to tell you honestly that I don't know a person on the earth that would say that they were ever prepared for the diagnosis <laughs> of cancer. When you hear you've got cancer or a loved one, have you know, someone you would just adore has cancer. I don't think anything prepares you for that. And it strikes such a deep-seated fear in your heart because we immediately associate it with a, a doom, a, an, an inevitable death. Uh, an, That's an, right. You know, and so it, it equates immediately. That word immediately equates with "I'm dying," and or the, or your loved one is dying, mm-hmm. and, and 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 abruptly and ahead of schedule and unexpectedly and and of course it just changes. It uproots everything, as you said. It's a great word. It is really rocks your world upside down. And so nothing had prepared my husband or I for that diagnosis. He was a man uh, before the diagnosis that lived a very healthy lifestyle. He didn't smoke. He loved his wine, but he did that because he, he loved it, you know, with a glass of wine with dinner, like a Mediterranean diet kind of thing. He didn't abuse alcohol. He'd never smoked. He didn't done, hadn't done drugs. I mean, there was nothing, in, and he exercised regularly. He was a bodybuilder. So you just said, what on earth in this man's landscape would make him a candidate for cancer? And as we disc, as we'll as we'll get into this, uh, as we chat more about it, it, it turns out that there's physical things that can trigger disease, but there are also emotional and stress and mm-hmm. stress other stressors that can trigger disease. And in his case. It was uh, tremendous, tremendous stress. I mean, just like that he had to go through a season at work that absolutely wore down his immune system and he just succumbed to got, you know, got very, very, very ill. But in any case, nothing prepared us for that. And although we were both uh, very, had very strong faith and we're both Christians, we've been Christians for a very long time and we considered ourselves 
what we would call mature Christians and that in that our faith had been a part of our life for at least a couple of decades before this happened. But as you find uh, when when trials come, when difficulties strike your life, it demands different muscles from you. And we did not have a muscle yet for yeah. how to respond to cancer. This was something new. It was like facing a giant that wanted to destroy our life, my, take my husband's life, destroy our marriage. We were facing a giant, a very dangerous enemy, and we ha- were unprepared. We actually, being healthy people, we knew very little about cancer. We hadn't had to face it. So this was a tremendous challenge that suddenly came, came knocking on our door. Did they give you a time limit? They did. Uh, they, as, as often happens with cancer, um, they, they will give you their, their best uh, estimate of how things mm-hmm. are going. And in, in Russell's case, he had bladder cancer. And they told him that it was the worst kind of cancer and it would not even respond to chemotherapy or radiation. And as people may or may not know, in the United States at least, and I think in Europe and Australia and places like that, cancer, uh, radiation and chemotherapy are the two standard protocols along along with surgery. So we were told that those options, surgery was open to us to remove tumors, but chemotherapy and radiation was not an option because it was not going to have any impact on the cancer. And they said they did want to take out his bladder, surgically remove it, and then probably his prostate. But even with that, the prognosis was less than five years. So we got a very dire prognosis and were forced to literally forces to move into a completely different mode of thinking and behaving, which was we literally fell on our face before God and asked him for guidance. And we asked him for mercy and we asked him for direction. And we received all three of those, you know, because he's a merciful, kind, loving God. And he answered those prayers and led us on a journey of discovery, which is what the book is about a journey of discovery because we found different alternative ways to heal cancer that we knew nothing about. We didn't know even existed. And they were so effective that my husband was healed. Despite all of the terrible things the conventional doctors had said, we found ways of uh, that reached healing. And he was completely healed and has been healed for the last four years, thank God, um, Completely healed. He's, and his bladder was never taken out. His prostate's never been taken out. His body completely healed. And so it's a great story of victory and, and deliverance. Can you share some of those, uh, um, the, some of the methods that you used? Yes. Uh, one of the things that, I mean, among the many things that we learned was, first of all, there is a world of what's called integrative oncology integrative the word integrative means the combination of many things and so rather than conventional oncology we found what's called integrative oncology which combines uh, spiritual emotional relational as well as physical therapies and integrative oncology treats the whole person not just the person not just the disease not just the tumor it treats the person with the tumor and so it's one of the things that we we embarked on a series of therapies that were some were spiritual, some were emotional, physical as well. Some of the ones that are most 
on, that people don't know about and aren't aware of and are very successful because we today we know a lot of people who have been healed using these therapies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things is that you have to understand, we have to get into a little bit about what cancer loves and then how to combat it. And if so I can go, if I can go there for a minute, mm-hmm. cancer loves certain conditions in which to grow. And one of those conditions is it loves a low oxygen environment. So if we live, which we all do, sedentary lifestyles, we're sitting on the couch watching TV, we're sitting in our chair at the computer, we're sitting in our cars in commutes every day, we don't, we're not exercising very much, we have a very low oxygenated state. And cancer thrives in low oxygen. It just starts, the cells start to reproduce very, very quickly. So one of the therapies that we used was oxygenating the body flooding the body with oxygen and how we how we did this was there are chambers called hyperbaric chambers that are used for divers the army mm-hmm. used these for years for years and years and years uh where divers who have to come up from very deep depths you know they have to they yes have, they have to have oxygen so that their their bodies can adjust and they don't have terrible results but anyway russell would do oxygen therapy in a in a hyperbaric chamber he literally would breathe 100 percent oxygen for 90 minute sessions wow he did this over a series of weeks and the thing about oxygen is it obviously doesn't harm the body in any way but it begins to cause the cancer cells to retreat because they hate oxygen Oh my goodness. So just with this is a painless, non-toxic, non-invasive therapy. So we did oxygen therapy. Then another one that we did, there is something called intravenous vitamin C. And intravenous is just how it sounds, it's injections of liquid vitamin C that uh vitamin C is considered nature's form of chemotherapy. It is lethal to cancer. And so given in the right doses, Vitamin C begins to also cause cancer to retreat. Cancer kills cancer cells. When you combine oxygen from the oxygen therapy with vitamin C therapy, those two elements together turn into hydrogen peroxide, which sounds scary, but it <laughs> doesn't harm healthy cells, but it heals, but it kills the cancer. So Hydrogen peroxide, oxygen, vitamin C together began to be, were two of the therapies that we used. We did eight, um, and they're all explained in the book in detail. We did, uh, so we did eight of them. But anyway, the oxygen and the vitamin C are two examples of non-invasive, non-toxic, painless, alternative, integrative treatments that we did. That in itself is incredible information for so many listeners because cancer affects each and every one of us. We all know somebody, we've either had it or going through it at the time. How long has it been out? It's been out a year and a half, and it's done really well. People have really, really responded well to it. It's, it's, they, they found it inspiring and helpful, and I, yes. think, I think it saved a lot of lives. That's, what I'm, that's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, my goodness, this is exciting to be able to share this today. So go on. Is there anything else along those lines that you would like to share? One of the things just people need to be aware of, and this was sobering for me as well, is that um, the American Cancer Society, and it's true in Canada as well, claims that one in three women and two in three men are likely to get cancer in their lifetime, which is unbelievable. That's half the United States population. I mean, that is like something 
is seriously going on. On, on any given day, 1,600 Americans lose their life to cancer. That's the equivalent of four jumbo jets of casualties. You know, so we have, a, we have a real crisis on our hands, and we have to stop and look at what is it in our lives that's causing cancer, both for men and women. And one of the – so a lot of it has to do with our diet, and I'm going to move there because okay. to that section because part of what we did as well as another alternative therapy was we used, met, we used nutrition as medicine. Hippocrates, as early as 460 B.C., said, let food – be your medicine. Mm-hmm. And if you know what plants and what foods to eat and the ratios and things like that, you can actually alter your body chemistry, which is what we did. Another thing that cancer loves, another condition that cancer will thrive in is acidic. Our body, our blood has a what's called a pH balance and we're either alkaline or we're either or, or acidic. A very healthy person will be balanced. Yes. And the, the pH levels will be balance between acid and alkaline but when you're when you have cancer or when you get cancer it's because the body is very acidic so you have to change your body chemistry to become more alkaline and you don't do this with chemo or radiation you do this with nutrition so number one is you must immediately start drinking eight glasses of water a day big eight ounce glasses minimum and start to flush out the, all of this acidity and all of these toxins that are accumulated in your body. There's body imbalance. And you're trying to get your body back into balance. Secondly, we have to eliminate sugar immediately. Any, any and all shapes and sizes of sugar. It has to be white sugar, brown sugar, honey, agave, maple, artificial sweeteners. They've got to just completely be eliminated from your diet. Cancer loves sugar. It feeds on sugar. It feeds on sugar. So anytime you're eating anything sweet, you are causing the cancer cells in your body to grow. You're literally, it is a fertilizer for cancer. So the, the sugar has to go. Then we turn our body into uh, as vegan as possible by consuming fruits, organic only, fruits, vegetables, and nuts, some nuts, so that all of those wonderful enzymes begin to uh, feed the body and nurture the body. And we get really wonderful nutrition because our diets are very lacking in nutrition. We have to be very careful depending on the amount of can- the amount of uh, the type of cancer and what stage it's in. We may or may not be allowed to have any animal protein at all. That includes no dairy. It includes no meat, no fish, no chicken. It depends. And if we have to are asked to go completely vegan, it's a way to alkalize the body, and it's a very important step, and it should not be overlooked. And that's the main reason that people get told and, and invited to become vegan. Um, you have to stop all alcohol, and you have to move away from things like pasta and bread and white rice and even brown rice and anything that might turn to um, like sugar in the body, glucose. You have to eliminate that. So that you have to be very vigilant about what you eat. And fruits and vegetables, uh, the fruits be, have to be fruits that are very low in sugar. So you're looking at berries, all the berries, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, and green apples. But you want to stay away from fruits that are very sweet for obvious reasons. So that's kind of the big, uh, the big rocks, if you will, the big, the big takeaways. But there's a lot more to it, of course. And um, you want to, whatever diet you go on, you want to have at least 50% of it be raw, which can be hard for people. So we get into what we, we recommend juicing, 
not everybody can digest raw vegetables and it can taste really funny to them. So we recommend juicing because that's an easy thing to do. And smoothies and juicing is a wonderful way to get all those great raw enzymes into your body. It begins to nurture the body and it begins to change it from an acid condition to alkaline. And it's very helpful. It also causes cancer to retreat because it starves the cancer of what it loves, which is sugar. Did you maintain that lifestyle after he was completely healed? We did. I actually did it with him. Uh, we learned about this, this kind of approach, and I did the whole diet with him because I thought it was easier for him to have that support. And I mm -hmm. also, also knew that it was not a bad thing for me because I was a bit of a sugar addict, to be honest, before he was diagnosed. And I thought, well, I'm probably just a a, can, a step away from getting cancer. I need to watch it. So we did it together, and it is a lifestyle that we maintain to this day, although we do incorporate some uh, organic uh, chicken, grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, things like that. Mm -hmm. But we follow what's called Kerala 80-20 diet, which is 80% fruits, vegetables, and nuts, and 20% animal protein. So we're very careful about our diet, and uh, we don't do alcohol, and uh, we try and exercise on a regular basis, and we've reduced our stress levels considerably because that was Russell's trigger. That was his trigger, as a matter of fact. And if that's not possible, the diet will help, correct? Oh, the diet is absolutely essential. There's people, there's a lot, a lot of research to show that there are some people, and I can't say this is a uh, I have to be careful how I say this because it's not, I don't want to promise. Uh -huh. I think depending on a person's physical condition, the stage of their cancer, if it's stage one, two, three, or four, et cetera. But there are people who've been completely healed of cancer just from following the right nutrition. So it's, it's an essential. If you did nothing else, you need to change your diet. That is a radical, radically change your diet is absolutely probably the first thing you can do. Start, start to starve the cancer. The other thing that's important is that people who are going through chemo, it is so devastating to the, our bodies that they often lose their appetite. And so if there ever was a time to make sure that people are getting the right nutrients, it would be for those who are going through chemotherapy because they feel wretched, their white cells are being attacked, their good cells as well as their bad cells are being attacked, and they need to build up their nutrients, their nutrient intake. It helps them get through the difficulties of chemotherapy. Well, you're preaching to the choir, Marion, because yeah. I'm also a cancer survivor, and yeah. it's exactly what I did. So I totally, totally relate and have encouraged people for the last 40 years in this same arena. And when I was given uh, the diagnosis, which was two years to live, my choices were hysterectomy or death. I didn't like those choices, so yeah. I made found my own choices. And as you're sharing your story about your husband, it's exactly which you did. You made your own choice. You did a third choice. I'm not going to die. I'm going to change something so that I can live. Yeah. And this is the message that I am hearing and I'm hoping that each person is hearing and can share this because it is possible. And I know you you did say that you don't want to make any promises, but I'll tell you one thing, you've got nothing to lose. Absolutely. That's exactly right. You're facing the firing squad, right? So you might as well make the changes and, and see what and see where they'll take you. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the world of conventional medicine doesn't 
the statistics are not necessarily encouraging mm-hmm. in terms of traditional conventional approaches. So why not consider alternative? That there the people who have more people are getting healed of cancer using alternative than the people who are using conventional. So as a side issue, let me ask you something about that. Why do you think people fear doing alternative medicine, especially in a position where they seemingly don't have a choice of, of you know, that they are imminently going to die? So why do you think there is such a fear in not going the traditional method? I think when you're faced with something that could kill you, you want to, you immediately need the support of experts. And you'll go to your doctor and you know that that person has gone through years and years and years of training and schooling and probably has some experience under their belt in terms of just practice. And so when they tell you, you must do A, B, and C, you trust them implicitly because you assume that they know the best, they know uh, more than you do, And you certainly at that stage have nothing to bring to the table in terms of an alternative. So you trust them. People trust their doctors. One of the things I talk about in my book is how important it is to get more than one opinion, which is how we discovered alternatives is because we we because the experts were telling us you we have nothing to give you, not even chemo or radiation are going to help you. We had to look elsewhere. (laughs) And so it was such a blessing that we were forced, if you in will, to, right. if you will, to look elsewhere. And so I think that people, number one, are afraid of uh, they want to trust their doctor. The second thing is that in the United States, it's also true in Australia, um, where I lived, uh, so I can speak with some authority there about that. And I think some of it is true in Canada as well. In medical schools, doctors are not given courses in nutrition. It's not taught as an alternative or a therapeutic there's no there's no therapeutic uh, um, courses given in that so actually doctors are unaware of it and because they have gone through the system and been trained a certain way when you come and talk to them about alternatives and I had a conversation with one of our specialists a conventional specialist he laughed you know he just laughed at me and and waved his hand very dismissively and said oh you can go ahead and do all that you know all that stuff you know all those stuff (laughs) and all that nutrition stuff and he had no faith in any of that and but at least he didn't say don't do it but um, I think that what it is is your conventional doctor actually doesn't know and I won't say that there's any they're they're well-meaning people they've been trained a certain way and they don't trust anything that's not that's not been part of their grid and part of what they've come through uh in terms of medical training so they don't so there's a great uh, disdain and it's considered kind of that crazy hippie thing that you do on the side and nobody takes it very seriously except those of us that have gone through it and say guess what it actually works but um, I just want to add one thing that you, in terms of your story, Karen, you said something so important, um, which is that you must have hope. Um, people have to find a reason to live or they won't fight. Mm. You you decided that you didn't like those options. <laughs> we decided we didn't like those options and we fought back. And there's, there's, a, there's some wonderful books that have been written uh, about the survivor Uh, personality and the survivor perspective and mindset, people who survive crises 
and survived natural disasters and illnesses and you know really difficult, challenging situations are people who tend to fight back. Huh. And so you, if you are a passive personality that just when the doctor pronounces these words of doom, you immediately internalize them and you just assume they know everything and you, uh -huh. think you lay down to die, then you will. I mean, people who are depressed will die sooner. People who give up hope will die sooner. So we have to learn how to find a reason to live. That is an absolutely essential part of getting getting over cancer or getting over any chronic illness or crisis. You have to have a fighting spirit. And so if you don't have a fighting spirit, you have to find something or someone worth living for. And that, that will propel you forward to find your solutions. And that's an essential part of living uh, and getting well. And there's a beautiful book written by one of the chairs at the Harvard Medical, Harvard Medical School, Dr. Jerome Groupman. He has written a book called um, Hope and Healing. Hope, and he claims that hope is at the heart of healing. Wow. He, he calls it, so he, in fact, he calls it the biology of hope because how we think and how we feel affects the chemistry, affects our body chemistry. So if we have thoughts of hope and thoughts of resilience and thoughts of, you know, healing and we believe and we have faith and we fight, these help all of our body, our cells, our tissues, everything that we're trying to, the life force within us is given a boost and is able to fight with us. So we cannot separate our physical bodies from our mental and emotional and spiritual uh, selves. Uh, and the Bible talks about the human body, the human beings as three people, three in one. We have a body, we're given a spirit, and we have a soul. And the soul is our mind and our heart, you know, our will. And so the body, the Bible talks about people, uh, human beings were made as three different, three different essences, you know, in us. So we're three, we're, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit. And so you cannot treat an illness just physically. You cannot just treat the tumor or the illness. You have to treat the whole person. And so there can be, like, as in my husband's case, he had emotional trauma from the stress of his work. And that was enough to trigger disease in mm -hmm. him. You know, so even though physically he was well, in his case, we had to deal with what was happening externally that was impacting him. So he was so devastated by some things that had happened. And until we dealt with that and we got he, we got over that, he wasn't able to find healing. So we have to look in our own lives and ask, what is it that's killing me? And really, wow, that's a, that's an impactful statement or yeah, question. What, what is it that's killing me? And sit down with mm. a pencil and pad and paper and say, what is it? Is it, am I drinking too much? Am I doing drugs? Am I not sleeping enough? Am I uh, in toxic relationships? Um, make a list of all those things that are causing stress on your immune system and that are going to lead to disease or if you've got to change all of those. If you already are sick, you're going to have to make some change, radical changes. You're going to have to change your life to get well. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it just takes a little bit of stepping out of the comfort zone, right? Well, you know, being sick, as you know, Karen, is horrible. You're, I mean, you, it's a horrible thing to be sick. You feel lousy. You feel terrible. It's hard. You know, you feel low, you know. Mm -hmm. And you're afraid and you're depressed. Those, It's a terrible state of mind to be in. So, frankly... 
altering and making radical changes, what have you, as you would say, what have you got to lose? You know, (laughs) you're already in a miserable place, so get better. I think sometimes what it, what we do need around us though is a strong support system because very often when you either receive the diagnosis or are in a place where you already are very sick, you may not have the energy to fight. And we need those people around us who are saying, you can do it. You know, there is, you can, you, you can, you can survive, you can make changes. And that's where people like you come in with a book that can guide. And this is also a book that I think that you certainly could recommend for anybody to have on their bookshelf to give to somebody who may be going through a similar experience because they need resources. Yes, I love what you just said. It is so true. If you are very, very sick, you are debilitated. Mm-hmm. That means physically you're debilitated. Emotionally, you're going to be very, find it hard to stay positive. And so having people around you who have faith, for your healing and are positive are going to be a very big part of your ability to heal. Uh, And I agree with you that having a community of people around you who can lift you up are going to be, is going to be an essential part of your getting well. Um, I also want to say that having the, having some faith in some kind of spiritual um, practice is going to be very important to balance the body. Um, besides having people around you that that have faith in your healing that are you need to remove negative people and toxic people Mm -hmm. in your life that's one thing uh people who don't believe who have suddenly who have bought the the doctor's predictions that you're doomed are not people you want to have around (laughs) you um including that doctor you know you want to find doctors who can who can believe that you can get well. That is, that is such an important part. Uh, the other thing to think about is about toxicity is keeping people away that are toxic and staying positive. Um, and also finding affirmations that you can say to yourself, uh, because our natural condition will be to be afraid, to be frightful, frightened and afraid. I found solace and strength in the scriptures, in the Bible. The Bible is full of promises of healing and as a Christian, I found that being able to memorize those scriptures um, gave me enormous strength and fortitude. And when my thoughts were dark for Russell and when Russell's thoughts were dark about himself, we were always able to make a choice, make a conscious choice to begin to repeat scriptures to us, to ourselves, so that we could uh, regain our strength and balance and go the distance. And that's an important part of renewing our mind with positive thoughts. What are some of your favorite affirmations? Well, I have them listed in my book. There are so many, so many, you know, but I love the one that says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will, uh, and I will uh, deliver you and you will honor me. And it's one of the ones that I used um, often. And it's partly what I'm doing here in this interview with you is, you know, I called on the God in my day of trouble and he delivered us. And I'm honoring him with this interview and I'm honoring him with my book. And anytime we tell our story, I'm honoring him. And so that to me is one of, one of the core uh, ones that I that I used and leaned on. Is a, And he talks about so many of the healing scriptures that we can. Psalm 103 is full of healing promises. And um, there are just so many where uh, things to be aware of is, for people who are searching right now, maybe for a spiritual path, I invite them to open the Gospels, open the, the Bible and read the Gospels where we had a man who walked the earth who was divine in the name of Jesus. And he never said no to healing. 
He healed every single person who ever asked him anytime we went to Jesus. And we believe as Christians, of course, that, that Jesus is still alive and he's alive in our hearts and he's alive. He's still running the universe. And so I went to Jesus in my prayers and said, when you walked this earth, you never turned anyone away who asked for healing. I'm asking for healing now for my husband. And I am going to trust you and believe that you are going to heal me and heal him the way you did all of those people who came to you when you were here. And he did. Now, I've got a couple questions uh, going back a little bit. How quickly did you start to see change in your husband? Actually, one of the most remarkable things that I saw about my husband was he his complexion was gray, Carol, and he looked he had bags under his eyes and he did not look well when we discovered that he had the cancer. And we just thought it was because he was under a lot of stress. However, uh, when we began to change the nutrition, his cheeks turned pink. His, his, <laughs> his complexion changed and he began to have a little bit more energy and he began to sleep better. Um, and so we immediately started noticing a change. And he also had some, um, one of his toenails was dark, you know, had fungus on it. Mm-hmm. And it began to clear up, which is a very good sign because fungus is a precursor to yes. cancer. Yes. And so we knew that if the fungus was retreating, we believed that the cancer might be retreating as well. And that turned, proved to be the case. Absolutely. What did the doctor say? Oh, it was fun. Um, Yeah, it was fun. Just back up a minute. Did you continue to see him while you were taking matters into your own hands? We did. We, We were working with a conventional oncologist, and we were also working with alternative oncologists all through the treatments. Okay. And the conventional oncologist um, did did all of the biopsies and all of the you know the CT scans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of the heavy sort of surgical things that that needed to be done. Um, and he also was the first one to tell us that Russell was cancer free, which is so <laughs> exciting. He has no explanation. <laughs> Um, he, he knows that we did all these alternative therapies and, uh, is delighted. He's actually been genuinely delighted to see Russell get well. Um, but he has, he has not, uh, humbled himself enough to ask mm. do because I think he believes that probably his treatments were the ones that were successful. Right. So we, we don't want to despair, dis, dispel any of that, but, but, um, he hasn't asked, but our other, all of the other partners who we work with that are, a part of this healing journey, of course, we're celebratory, feeling triumphant. When anybody gets well and they've invested in your recovery, they it's a triumph for them as well, you know? So Absolutely. I will tell you that the people, we had uh, many people praying for us, and I believe in the power of prayer, just as I do believe in the power of, of confessing God's word, God's, this, those God's those promises that God gives us in the Psalms and things like that. Um, we prayed daily. That was part of our spiritual therapy was we would get up and we would have an hour or two with God. We'd open our Bibles and we'd find the Psalms and the promises that were jumping out of the page and into our hearts that we believed God was speaking directly to us about. And we memorized those and we would pray them back to him alone. We would pray them back to him together. And we also organized prayer groups uh, in our home 
And uh, we had people come on a regular basis. We would keep them up to date about what the doctors and things were, say, were saying. And these prayer sessions would go on for some time. One prayer session, I have to tell you, was uh, unforgettable. It was four hours. And we had teams of people who would come and then they'd leave and then new people came. And it was like a relay race of prayer. And we even had an eight, had organized an 800 number where people from other parts of the country could call in and join us in the prayer. So we had this four-hour marathon mm. of prayer where people were praising God and worshiping and singing and praying over Russell and anointing him with oil. And that was an unbelievable experience because it lifted our spirits so yes. much to feel the camaraderie of people around us holding us up in prayer. And those prayer warriors stayed with us month after month after month. And I know that we could not have had the strength or the mental fortitude to uh -huh. get through this journey without, without that prayer support because we had many ups and downs. He was not healed right away. He went through many different phases and we had three biopsies and it uh, wasn't until the third one that he was declared cancer free for two biopsies with uh, three, four months in between, we were told that the cancer was still there. So we had to hold our faith yes. and to the vision that healing was coming even when we didn't see it, which is, of course, what faith is. It's being able to see with your spiritual eyes even what you don't see with the, with, in your circumstances. And it's holding on to that vision until it comes to pass. You know, it's like praying it down, praying it down from heaven, you know. Praying it into existence. Is that one of some of the recommendations that you have in your book as well? Yes. My book goes into spiritual therapies, all the different kinds of prayer, healing prayer, and how to encourage prayer teams, like what how to how to lead a prayer team. You've got to you've got to help people know how to pray. Everybody's wants to help you and wants to be a very good prayer partner, but you have to tell people what it is that you want them to pray so that everybody can be aligned. You know, that, uh -huh. that, uh, that principle of alignment is extremely important. If, if there's tremendous power when people agree in prayer and, uh, when we put our mind to it, but and with two, when two or more are gathered, it's powerful. And when four or more are gathered, it's even more powerful. When 10, 20 are gathered, then <laughs> everyone's praying for the same thing. It's very powerful, you know? And so we kept people, informed step-by-step uh, step about what we wanted them to pray and how we wanted them to pray. And they were very faithful to that, and it was very powerful. It all turned out beautifully. So in conclusion, is there anything that you want to possibly give the audience a call to action? Or um, we will definitely have the resources of your book, etc., on the show notes So we and your webpage, any other contact information will all be there. I know that people will want to connect with you. But anything else you want to share in conclusion or as a call to action? Absolutely. Number one, the most important thing is to understand that God is not punishing you. If you've gotten cancer or you're very sick with some other thing, God is not punishing you. God is actually for you, not against you. So this is not some kind of punishment. And so please invite him into your healing. Invite him. You are inviting the God of the universe to come in and help you in your pain and your weakness and your confusion and your fear to get you out of this muck and this difficult situation. And if you call on him, he's faithful to deliver you. And he will provide all kinds of resources that are supernatural, some of them, and you need him. You need him and you want him as a partner. That's number one. Uh, number two, I think it's important that people radically look at their diet 
um, whether it's cancer or other kinds of diseases, our body tends to function very much the same way. Anything you do to eliminate sugar from your body, your body will gratefully thank you. It will it will help push back any disease, uh, get, get rid of the sugar, go for more vegetables and fruits, um, low sweet, you know, not sweet fruits. Try and find, you can Google this, look up all the acid-causing foods and the alkaline-causing foods and make your diet 80% alkaline. It will help any of your conditions. Um, thirdly, uh, thirdly, you want to start drinking just lots and lots of water, eight glasses at least a day. It will start to help you detoxify. It's very important to hydrate the body. Um, fourthly, I would say you must surround yourself with people who believe in your healing and remove all the toxic negative people from your life. And you yourself need to find a very strong reason to stay alive because it will give you a fighting spirit and you need to fight back. If there was ever a time to fight, this is it. So be a good soldier, put on your boots, put on your helmet, keep, you know, keep positive, find ways to Keep yourself in a very positive state of mind. Watch movies that make you laugh. Listen, <laughs> just listen to comedians on television and on, you know, on YouTube and make yourself laugh. Make yourself feel good. Begin to move the body. Go for walks. You know, start to do some exercise. If you can, if you, if you have the energy to do that, exercising is very important. And I would say, of course, um, I invite you to read the book because in the back of the book, there's some resources where you can learn about oxygen therapy and vitamin C therapy and who the specialists are and where to go. And so I do want people to be aware that the book is there to give them hope. It's there to build up their courage, but it's also full of practical resources to help them get well. And so that's why it really matters to me. I wrote the book to help people and to honor God. And I, and I really am excited to always to share our story and, and the book, because I know that it, I can tell from the letters that I've received from people that it's actually helped them save their lives. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marion. You said a lot Thank and you. a lot of things for us to think about and to share with others. And I thank you. I oh, thank you. I thank you. <laughs> thank you, my dear. Thank you for the opportunity, Carol. And I know there's a cancer survivor, you know, that you fought this battle yourself and you came out a victor. So congratulations and, to you. And, and many, many have. Yes. Thank you, dear. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.